Well, it's lovely to be back with you again. Thank you very much. Uh, since I was with you last, I've been messing around in a boat. And in May, I rounded Land's End on a sailing boat. And in June, I rounded John O'Groats on the same boat, although I wasn't there for the entire journey. And we had great fun, and we even sang God's praises as we past various beautiful landscapes. I'm intrigued by the photo behind me. I have stayed at a Christian retreat centre in Uganda that's very similar to that, but I think the elephants in the picture suggest it's probably taken in India. Is that right? Can you spot an elephant there? Or is it my imagination? Uh, our first, uh, our first uh, photo uh, of the PowerPoint is taken just north of India in the country of Nepal and I think Cliff may have actually trekked past this same farmer's field that I took this photo at. Uh, this is a picture of, as you can see, two oxen ploughing and it's a good illustration of us as believers being joined with Christ. The wonderful passage we've just heard is a super cascade of praise, a rhapsody of adoration, introducing all the melodies that follow in this delightful book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church there. Has anybody been to Ephesus in Turkey on a holiday? It's quite an impressive place, isn't it? Uh, very elegant, lots of sculptures, lots of fine buildings and lots of paganism as well. So Paul starts off, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every way in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's basically saying in the spiritual dimension God has blessed us and then we're going to unpack what those blessings are in some of what follows. Uh, it's all about us being united with Christ. Imagine that you are a young ox and you've never done any ploughing before. You are likely to be apprenticed to an older oxen that knows the trade and has do been doing it for years. By the way, Jesus was a carpenter. He probably lived in a rural area, did he? Nazareth. And um, knew how to make an ox yoke which would fit comfortably over the shoulders of the two creatures so that they could pull together. And the older oxen would, in effect, show the younger oxen how to do the job and would say, in effect, you know, let me take the strain. You just put your footsteps where I put mine and we'll go around together. There's a lovely little illustration of how the Christian life is supposed to work out, you know. God working with us, alongside us. Um, wasn't it Jesus who said, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There is a reason why you don't yoke an ox with a donkey. Their legs are, uh, don't pace it out at the same rate, the oxen will be much stronger, they will be unequally yoked, there will be tension, there will be frustration and difficulty. That's a picture of 
not being yoked with unbelievers in a close relationship, whether business or possibly marriage. How lovely that in this Christian life, we can be yoked with Christ. I used to think that being a good Christian involved being busy and doing lots of active things. I'm a bit of an activist, like some people here, I suspect. But I'm beginning to realise that actually it's not, it's not about what I do for the Lord that counts. It's what he is doing through me that counts. And in the passage we've just heard, the word pleasure comes twice. And in fact, it's referring to God's pleasure in all that he's done for us in Jesus. Amazing that God derives pleasure from sorting us out, straightening us out, redeeming us, and so on. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, the word blameless is a word that refers to a sacrificial animal of the Old Testament. Um, I, most of my uh, service for the Lord these days comprises looking after a, an online Bible class every week. And we have a, an hour and a half Zoom call. And this week we've been doing Leviticus, which is all about the sacrificial offerings. And that word blameless refers to a perfect animal that is to be offered as a sacrifice. It's got to be flawless. It mustn't have a lame leg. It mustn't have a damaged pelt. It's got to be a good specimen fit to be offered to God. And when we become Christians and we surrender our lives to Jesus, from that moment, God declares us blameless or faultless. The word is justified. Why? Because we are wrapped up in Christ and God sees Christ instead of us and all our sinfulness. So from the word go, when we become a Christian, we are declared right with God. Not because of any intrinsic thing that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Um, the business about being made holy is another story altogether, as any wives can testify about their husbands. Uh, and certainly my wife can tell you that um, I'm not there yet. Let's come to the picture in front of us. Does anybody recognise this picture? It's rather famous. It's by Holman Hunt. It is the scapegoat. So here is a goat, probably painted uh, by the Dead Sea. Holman Hunt spent three years, three months down by the Dead Sea doing his research for this painting. Now, on the Day of Atonement, the most holy day of the Jewish year, the entire nation were expected to fast, to eat nothing, and some special sacrifices were offered to God on this day because all the routine sacrifices were not sufficient. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. That was the only time in the year when anyone was allowed to go in and it was only the high priest. And he had to <coughs> sacrifice a bull for his own sin and he would sprinkle some of that blood 
on the furniture in the tabernacle and when he went into the Holy of Holies he would sprinkle blood onto that Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was considered to be. But he was not allowed to look at that Ark of the Covenant and so he had to offer incense and this great cloud of smoke and beautiful fragrance was between him and the Ark of the Covenants to sort of so that he didn't get fried by the blazing glory of God. You, if you know your Bible well, you will know that later in the Old Testament, when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant to the um, tabernacle in Jerusalem, uh, the oxen pulling the cart stumbled and there was a risk that the Ark would fall onto the ground. And so one of the priest's sons put his hand out to steady it. You know, tell me what happened. He died on the spot. This God is to be reverenced as holy. Nobody was allowed to touch that ark. The, when the children of Israel travelled through the wilderness, uh, it was only the Aaron's family that could wrap up the furniture of the tabernacle and put the poles in position, coated in gold, and only when it was wrapped up were the Levites the others who assisted in the, in the religious ceremonies, only then were they allowed to carry it. So they could not actually see the ark themselves. Now, um, on the Day of Atonements, uh, two goats would be brought to be sacrificed, special goats, and a priest would put his hands on the goats' heads, the scapegoat being one of them, and they would confess the sins of the people. Lynn, thank you for leading us in confession this morning. And it's a good spiritual discipline to be specific in our confession. If we have had sharp words with somebody in our home and we've lost our cool, we need to tell God and tell him we're sorry. And better still, tell whoever we've upset that we shouldn't have said what we did. Um, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and we, we know that he will forgive us. So symbolically, the sins of the people were transferred to these creatures. That's what the sacrificial system represented. One of the goats would be killed and the blood would be sprinkled everywhere, including over the worshippers. The other one, the scapegoat, was put on a long lead, given to a runner who was capable of a marathon, and he was allowed, he was commanded to leave this animal far, far away into a desert place, many miles away, so far away that he would never come back. And so here is the scapegoat. And if you look at the picture, you may, may notice some bones of other animals that have died, which is probably what will happen to this one. Down by the Dead Sea, there's no drinking water to be had. Unless you go to Ein Gedi and find a spring, there's not much grass to eat, none at all in fact, and there are wild animals around. In Bible times there were lions and bears as we know. So this scapegoat conveyed the sins of the people far, far away and probably came to an untimely, uncomfortable end. A picture of a sacrifice.
We are chosen to be in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And it's the sacrifice of Jesus, of course, which subsumes and rendered obsolete all the Old Testament sacrifices. More about that in a minute. Now, God's blessing for us is both past, present and future. We were saved when we surrendered our lives to Christ, when we recognised Jesus as Lord, when we confessed our sins and we were declared righteous. Justificate. We were justified. We are being saved. God is in the process of making us holy. We will one day be saved when we see Jesus face to face and our salvation process will be completed. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now this word predestined we find uncomfortable. It's as if we are pre-programmed and we had no choice in the matter. Well that's not, that's only one part of the picture because none of us are robots. I expect God knows what you're going to have for lunch tomorrow, even if you don't. Are you predestined to eat the bangers and mash or whatever it will be? Um, when God sent Moses to Pharaoh, he said, Pharaoh will harden his heart and he will not let the people go, and, but I will judge all the gods of Egypt and then he will let you go. And it wasn't until the tenth plague had come and all the firstborn of the land were killed, Pharaoh said, off with you, get out fast. God knew what was going to happen. Was Pharaoh pre-programmed to behave as he did? No, he had free choice and he could have softened his heart, but the Bible says repeatedly he hardened his heart. And then eventually God hardened his heart because God will reinforce our choices. Um, it's not for us to become proud and think God has chosen us. I must be special. We are special because we belong to God. But listen to this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential or of noble birth. But God chose foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the lowly things of the world and the weak things of the world to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, if anyone is to boast, let him boast in the Lord. Let me tell you a little story about a couple at, from Millmead. They got married uh, as they were a little bit older than, than many. They found they couldn't have children. They went to Portugal and bought a farmstead and they wanted a family badly. And uh, they travelled to Brazil and adopted two uh, orphans from the slums. Uh, there is a reciprocal arrangement between Portugal and Brazil because both nations speak Portuguese and there is a, a colonial connection. So these two orphans were brought back as adopted children and are probably still being brought up in Portugal. 
Well, they subsequently went back to Brazil and adopted two more, and eventually they had seven children, much to the consternation of those of us at Milmead that they were looking to to provide some funds for this enterprise. But the point is, they chose, they adopted, and they adopted not on the base of merit or attractiveness, possibly on the basis of need. Certainly when God chose us, he looked and he said, that one's mine. I've chosen him. I've chosen her. Why? Because God wants a family. And uh, we are being prepared to be the bride of Christ, as you know. God is wanting to prepare a bride for his son. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, he said of Israel, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. That's from Deuteronomy. So let's have a recap and see what it is that God has done for us uh, arising from this passage. We are blessed. Blessed because of Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are chosen. We are loved. We are adopted, adopted into God's family. We are redeemed. Now that is a rich word. It's a lovely word. We sang it in some of our songs. And it means to pay money or pay a ransom of some sort to set somebody free or something free. God redeemed his people from Egypt. <clears throat> And on the night when they escaped, you will recall they were all instructed to celebrate a Passover meal and a lamb had to be killed and the blood had to be splashed around the doorposts, yes? And when the angel came, the angel of death, bringing God's judgments on the Egypt, when the angel saw the blood, he passed over that house and went on to the next one. Hence the term Passover. A blood sacrifice. Jesus has redeemed us. He's paid the price for our freedom. We weren't slaves in Egypt, but we were slaves to sin, to doing our own thing and rebelling against God. And God has purchased our freedom with the most costly thing in the whole universe. God did all of this with much wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time has reached their fulfillment to bring everything together under Christ and his direction and management um, Jesus will own everything manage everything complete everything fulfill everything it's all for his pleasure he forgave us because he chose to do so. Now, uh, we didn't read the rest of the section. Do you know, all the, all the reading that uh, Lynn kindly read for us is just part of one sentence from Paul. He's so excited about what God has done for us 
the poor old guy uh, writing it all down at Paul's dictation was struggling because it, it all pours out like a huge cascade, like a waterfall of God's goodness and grace. Here are all the things he's done for us. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, blessed, chosen, loved, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. Could God have done more for you and me? And what I love about this is that God the Father planned it. Jesus Christ the Son delivered it. And we didn't get to verse 13 where we read that it's the Holy Spirit that seals us. That, in other words, that confirms this, that makes it real in our experiences. And what's more, it's all for God's pleasure. Did you know that you and I are here today and will be here tomorrow living hopefully for God to bring him pleasure? God had pleasure in sending his son to fix his broken world and to fix our broken lives. Hallelujah. Now, so some of you might recognise this, or at least you might recognise the Bible story to which this directs us. Come on, uh, you are well taught here at Milford Baptist Church, are you not? Tell us what this is about, please. Yes. Do you remember the children of Israel were busy grumbling against Moses or against God? Nothing was right as far as they were concerned. It's a bit like some people in some churches that we know, you know. Nothing's ever quite as it should be. The pastor doesn't do it right, you know, or the house group leader doesn't do it right. And God sent a plague of snakes and they were bited, being bitten and they were dying. And Moses was commanded to put a bronze snake on the top of a pole. And if everybody looked at the pole and the snake, they were cured and they didn't die if they'd been bitten by a snake. Well, what's the connection between that and this whole business about sacrifices and uh, um, the, uh, the goat that we've been reading about, the scapegoat. Throughout the Bible, there are signposts to Jesus. The Passover lamb in Exodus is one such signpost. Another such signpost concerns when Abraham was spoken to by God and said, God said to him, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go and sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you. God was rubbing it in. This was Abraham's pride and joy, the most important thing in his life, and God wanted him. And you remember, they had a three-day journey to get to Mount Moriah, and Isaac was carrying the, the sticks for the, uh, the fire, and Abraham was carrying the burning coals in a little uh, device. And Isaac says to his dad, my father, we've got the wood and we've got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham profoundly said, God will provide himself the sacrifice. And he did. Do you remember the story? Isaac was probably in his 20s or maybe even 30 years old when this incident took back place. 
he was well able to run away. He chose not to. <clears throat> and Abraham's knife is poised to slay his son. And the angel has to speak up rather briskly. <laughs> and there was a ram with thorns wrapped around its head, caught in a thicket. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, meaning really the Ram of God. Why do we say that? Well, because it was male animals that were required for sacrifice. And you are surely close enough to the farming community to know that the lambs that were born this spring, come this autumn, certainly after a year, will be as big as their parents. They're fully grown. So, in fact, we're talking about a ram, not a tiny lamb that's just a few weeks old. Can you think of another lamb that was stuck up on a pole with thorns wrapped around the head uh, where the life of that animal was given? Uh, or, yes, you can, the life of Jesus was given because the life is in the blood. That's what the blood is all about. It symbolizes the life of the creature. Here we have a signpost of the greater cure to come. This was a temporary cure for people who'd rebelled against the leadership of Moses and they were dying of snake bites. We're all rebellious and God has provided a means of escape so that we do not in, uh, receive the just penalty that we deserve for our wrong. Yet another pointer to Jesus. May I give you one more? Um, I, I facilitate this online Bible school uh, and it's the, the curriculum is Unlocking the Bible, a series that David Pawson introduces uh, online. And um, this coming week we are doing the Book of Numbers. And the, the people of Israel complain against Moses. They were very good at this sort of thing. We haven't got any water. Why did you bring us here? You know, we would, we should have been, we'd been better off back in Egypt. They'd forgotten that they were slaves there. They were uh, being beaten uh, mercilessly. God says to Moses, go and hit that rock and water is going to come out. Moses was so fed up with them that he, he hit the rock twice, you may recall. And for that... He incurred, in, in, incurred God's displeasure, so much so that Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. In fact, he died close to where this photo was taken, near, this is Mount Hor, overlooking, uh, well, the, it's the Rift Valley in the distance. Uh, I think it's probably a, Jord a Jordanian town down in the valley there. Uh, I've, I've been and seen this particular uh, place in Jordan. It's... Um, um, it's a bit of a tourist site. So, God is pointing to his son Jesus throughout the Old Testament. What's the business about hitting the rock and the water coming out? Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who, drink, he who feeds on me out of the depths of his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Imagine feeding or providing water for one and a half million people, and goodness knows how many sheep and donkeys and cattle and other things they had. Remarkable that God was able to do that by breaking open 
presumably an underwater aquifer, and the water gushed out. And of course that rock symbolises Jesus, and we read in the New Testament that God struck that rock and life was released, that life coming from Jesus. So I think we need to wrap this all up. What is our response to all that we've heard? We have been redeemed, bought back. We've been forgiven, we've been adopted, we've been chosen. We are loved. God has invested so much in us and it's Jesus who delivers all these benefits to us. Our job is to be grateful and to be thankful and to live lives that bring him pleasure. One other thing to finish. find the verse that I want to bring to you. Um, by one sacrifice, God has made forever perfect those who are being made holy. Let me repeat that. By one sacrifice, God is making forever perfect those who are being made holy. We are made perfect that is blameless, faultless, without accusation because of Jesus, because we are in Jesus, because we are yoked to him, because we are wrapped up in him. And God is making us holy, which is why we need to be patient with each other and with our leaders and others, because God is still working on them as he is on us. Now, I'm going to lead us in a short time of prayer now. You may know that something terrible happened in Croydon this week when a, a young Christian girl studying her for her GCSEs, Eliana Andam, was knifed to death uh, on the way to school. 